Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's somebody out there that will literally pay you for anything that you love doing. Mm -hmm. And so the key is really just to find what you love, because if you have a passion for something, you can make money doing it. <laughs> you just have to have the passion. What keeps me going is that passion. It's that internal motivation that I have going on like, ooh, I'm helping people on a daily basis. This is what I want to keep doing. And yeah. so that's what gets me over the hump. So that's why I tell people, If you're stepping out into this game, first of all, it's not easy because yeah. if you do it just for the money, you will be miserable. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So let's go right into an introduction. Tell us a little bit about who you are and help us talk money. 
<laughs> yeah. So my name is Tiffany Grant and I'm a blogger and podcaster over at Money Talk with Tiff. Um, my goal is pretty much to educate. So it's a financial literacy and education platform because I feel like there needs to be more representation, especially in the black and brown community. And just to be real, usually we do not listen to people that do not look like us. So, <laughs> um, that's why I'm out here doing the work, just trying to educate as many people as possible. Yeah, we absolutely need more of these conversations in our community. So I'm so glad that you stepped up and decided to, you know, have the conversations, which I think for a lot of us, we can say we probably didn't have growing up. And if we did, I think a lot of us had like awkward or weird conversations around money or it just was this thing that kind of lurked in the background, but we didn't actually have a relationship with. So can you talk about your own relationship with money growing up as a kid? Like, what did you see? What were some of the messages that you heard and how those manifested as an adult? Yeah. So just like many households, nobody in my house talked about money. Um, <laughs> I actually grew up with my grandparents until I was about 12 or so. And I just remember, you know, my grandma being home, taking care of me and then my grandpa working. They never talked about like how much they made, you know, how much they were paying, what the expenses were. It wasn't until I got older and I realized that they were paying an arm and a leg because this was in New York. Um, and I was like, what for that, that apartment in the projects? So it's like growing up up, they didn't make me privy to any of this. All I knew was, you know, if I asked for it, nine times out of 10, I got it. I didn't know anything about anybody's financial situation. It wasn't until I started getting older and started paying attention a little more where I noticed that everybody in my immediate family are spenders, first of all. And so hence why if I asked for something, I probably got it. I mean, <laughs> I would sit there and watch, you know, like the infomercials and stuff and be like, oh, I want that. And lo and behold, it would show up at the house. But come to find out everybody was spenders and everybody utilized credit to the fullest extent to the point where around 2008, 2009, I saw everyone in my immediate family file for bankruptcy wow. and even foreclosures. So after that time, I I realized because around that time I was like in middle school, high school, somewhere up in there. And I was like, you know what? I do not <laughs> want to go this route. Like this is not for me. Um, so that's when I started diving more deeply into personal finance and just trying to educate myself as much as possible. Cause I was like, nobody's going to teach me this. So let me just take the earnest on myself. Even as a young child, let me learn as much as I can. And to the point where I started investing, like as soon as I turned 18, wow. I had saved up. Yeah. <laughs> back then it wasn't as easy as it is now. So back then I wanted a Vanguard cause you know, reading Kiplinger and money, they were like, Ooh, Vanguard's the top of the top. And so at that point, you had to have 3000 just to open. Mm -hmm. So I was like saving, saving, saving. And I finally got up enough to <laughs> open my investment account and the rest is history. So it's like, I think throughout my years, and I mean, there's so many different things within that. I feel like my family had a big impact on who I am today and not that I follow in their footsteps, but I wanted to do things completely opposite. Mm, yeah. I think a lot of us can relate to that story of just feeling like, where was the conversations that we needed to have around how not to repeat you know, these money mistakes? And so I'm curious how a child essentially starts learning about personal finance. Like, what did you do? Did you go to the library? Like, because I know I sure as hell was not thinking about financial lessons as a middle schooler, or high schooler. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, okay. So it goes back further than that. Like yeah. I remember being like five and cutting coupons, you know, they oh, used wow. to come in the mail <laughs> and I didn't really quite understand what they were. I just like going through the process and I was like, oh, this is a dollar. Oh, this is 50 cent, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And um, of course nobody used the coupons because like I said, everybody's <laughs> spenders. So nobody cared about these coupons, but I just remember just cutting them out and going through the motions and and, you know, now as I got older, I realized that my dad is a penny pincher. I didn't know that because I didn't grow up with him. But, you know, listening to stories from my mom, she was like, oh, yeah, uh, he used to coupon heavy, you know, and all that type of stuff. So I'm like, I don't know if it's just innately within me. <laughs> <laughs> want to like save money, but um, I've always been really tight with my money. <laughs> so like, as soon as I got a job at like, let's um, at 16, that's when I kind of kicked it into high gear. Like I was one of those extreme couponers at the age of 16. I would walk in with like, I mean, go to the register with like a big shopping cart full of stuff and pay like $20. Wow. And 
that's when I realized like, ooh, like this is a high for me. You know, that's one thing that people don't realize, like money and finances is very emotional, Mm -hmm. right? And so you can either be on the end of the spectrum where spending is a high, or you can be on the end of the spectrum where saving is a high. Mm -hmm. And for me, at an early age, I realized that saving was a high for me. Like I was addicted to, oh, let's see how much I can save. Let's see how much. And so that's kind of how I got into it. But then I started getting Kiplinger Personal Finance, Money Magazine. I was an avid reader. So one of my early business ventures was buying and selling books on Amazon. Now Uh they had the Amazon seller fee. So (laughs) (laughs) it was like, you know, anybody could get on. So I actually started that when I was in seventh grade, I would get books from Amazon and then sell them back so I can keep feeding my love of learning. Um, Yeah. So, you know, getting those and then reading blogs. Um, I used to read blogs a lot, listening to podcasts. This was in the early days of podcasting. So it wasn't much out there, but I used to listen to some of the money podcasts back then too. So it was just, I just wanted to seek out as much as possible um, starting that young. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's, um, you know, so much more accessible nowadays to find financial education. So I applaud you for being I would say like, you know, just being 10 steps ahead of a lot of folks because you just knew that there was something that you didn't know and you took proactive steps to get there. And I think that's one of the things that maybe some of us can beat ourselves up about. It's just like, well, why didn't we learn this? Why didn't my parents teach us this? And, you know, you can't learn what you don't have someone to teach you. And our parents did the best that they could with the information that they had. And it's up to us if we realize that there's some sort of deficit in that education, like we have to be proactive about it because- Let's be honest, our society really doesn't prioritize teaching folks about money. I do have feelings about that. You know, I do think that some of that is very intentional to keep us kind of stuck in places where we don't want to be. But this is why it's so important to really take things into your own hands and become the architect of the life that you want. And it sounds like that's exactly what you've been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your career and how you decided to turn your passion for personal finance into now this business. Tell me about it. Yeah. So I actually started Money Talk with Tiff when I was in HR. So I was already working a day job. Since I was pretty decent with money, people would always come to me with questions like family, friends, things like that. And I'm like, dang, like I keep saying the same things over and over to all of these different people. Let me figure out a way where I can just get it on the World Wide Web. So that way, because I'm like, if one person has this question or two people have this question, then there's probably hundreds of people that have the same question. So I started started the blog while I was still in corporate America. And I don't even know where the name came from. I was just like, I don't know, money talk. Okay, whatever. Um, (laughs) And it was really created as a way to A, get the information out there, but also B, be my accountability because I had a goal to be debt free by 30. So I was like, okay, if I blog about it, then when I get to my uh, goal year of 30, if I don't hit it, then people are going to be like, Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is my way to be accountable as well. And so I just got off of work. It was like 11, 12 o'clock at night. And I just started writing and had a goal back then of writing at least once a week. And so I would get off of work and then I would turn on second shift. So mind you, I've been a single mom for forever, but I would get off of work, get the kids from daycare, come home, make dinner, make sure they got their showers, homework time, get into bed. And then that's when I would turn on Money Talk. And so it was to the point where I would be up at like one or two o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, okay, Tiffany, you need to pull yourself away from this. But I was having so much fun. So that's kind of how it got started. And then one day I was sitting at work in my HR position. Now, don't get me wrong. I love HR. But I was sitting there and I was like, well, dang, Tiffany, you have so much fun after hours. (laughs) Why aren't you doing this full time? So I was like, okay, you know what? Let's see how it goes. So going through, I had a plan got through that. And I actually had to quit corporate twice. Cause the wow. first, yeah. <laughs> Cause the first time I made a big boo-boo, I didn't save up enough, but I finally went full-time in 2019 and I'm still going strong today. Uh, that is incredible. Kudos to you. That's amazing. So when did you start your blog? 2017. So December of 2017. Okay. And so you mentioned that you were on a debt-free journey. So what was that related to? Was that student loan debt or what was the original origin of the debt? 
Ooh, child, some of everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was some cards in there. There was some credit cards in there. There was some student loans in there. Just some of everything. And I didn't could include the house. So that was supposed to be debt-free except the house. Mm-hmm. Now, I am now 31. No, I did not make it. But I was like, it's okay. It was a good run while it lasted. And so now I'm like, okay, maybe by 35. But yeah, it was some of everything. And I didn't realize how powerful having intentions were until I looked up and in less than, I think it was like a year and a half or two years, I had paid off over $50,000. And that was at a time where I was making like $11, $12 an hour. So yeah, I'm like, you know, (laughs) if I could do that, like there's no reason why I can't knock out the rest. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the mindset that I have now. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so I'm curious, Before you started your debt payoff journey, do you think that you started to fall back into some of the habits that you saw growing up with regards to spending? And why do you think that happened? So when I was being intentional, like really, really on it, no. Like I was just like, you know, full speed ahead on the gas. We not stepping on brakes, whatever. (laughs) Like it was just like, no was one of my favorite words. People wanted me to go out. I'm like, no, I can't. I was doing Uber and Lyft. So during that time, it was not a problem. Now, fast forward to today, Um, (laughs) because I tell people we always like, even if you're a financial counselor, financial coach, financial advisor, whatever, we all have the same things. Like I still like right now I'm in the middle of a budget reset because I had fell off. So that's why I'm like, give yourself grace. You know, nobody's perfect when it comes to this stuff. But I think the main thing is just being aware that you are misstepping and then correcting the course. So kind of going back to what you were saying earlier when you were like, oh, people are kicking themselves. Like, why didn't I learn this? There's no time like the present. So like if you're in a financial mess, there's no time like the present to go ahead and turn that around. My philosophy is as long as you are making progress towards your goals daily, you are successful. So even if it takes like for me, for instance, this morning, I was in my budget making a little changes here and there. I'm successful for today because that's working towards my big goal, you know? So just to back up and answer your question, because I know I went on a tangent, I feel like because we all make missteps and like even to this day, the credit card debt that I have right now is ridiculous. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm just being real. I'm being, this is a very vulnerable. We're owning it. (laughs) Yes, I am owning it because this is going to start my next blog. But anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) it's off the chain. Okay. Now I was actually just being fully transparent, crying earlier this morning because I was like, oh my gosh, Tiffany, like what the heck is going on? Like I was sitting here beating myself up. And then I said, but you know what? You could sit here and wallow or you could go ahead and open up this budget and see how you're going to get out of this. Mm. So I feel like, you know, you can have your moment of feeling bad for yourself or what have you. But like I said, being aware of what's happening and then changing the trajectory. I feel like that has been a theme in my life. (laughs) Like whenever I do make a misstep, because I do believe in failing early and failing often, whether it's business, personal life, whatever. And so if I do make a misstep, guess what? I'm going to sit there and be like, hmm, that wasn't fun. And then I'm going to figure out (laughs) what I can do to make sure I'm not in the situation again. So I feel like that's the biggest takeaway from that. That's honestly such a good perspective to have, right? Because I think what happens to a lot of people is they get stuck in the self-pity and the cycle of just like feeling like shit. So it's like, wait, I feel like shit. I'm going to spend more money because I feel like shit. Now I'm in more debt. And it's just like, wait a minute, hold on. Like, let us take two steps back, relax. Everything is, I think it's Marie Forleo who says like, everything's figure outable. Like you can figure this out, right? So um, just because, and I have gone through the same cycle where like I get out of debt, And then I'm back in debt. And then I'm like, wait a minute, we already did this. Why are we doing this again? And a lot of it just honestly has to do with that intentionality and that self-awareness of realizing that maybe you're going through a more stressful time in your life and you default to spending more. Maybe you're just like sick your freaking job. And so you're booking more vacations than you budgeted for, right? And so it's just like taking a step back and almost having like a third-party experience where you're observing yourself, but not you know, like you're disconnected from it and just seeing yourself and what you're doing. I think it's so powerful because then it can give you that perspective that you need to be like, all right, we need to 
pivot here. Like enough, enough is enough. And see, the thing is, and this is what happened to me. So I'm talking from my experience, but I got too comfortable, right? Mm. So I got too comfortable with, oh yeah, everything's in order and this, that, and the other. Then I look up and I'm like, oh, like. (laughs) (laughs) I got a little too comfortable. (laughs) Right. Got too comfortable, too comfortable. So um, I feel like that jolt and Mm. that's what I was grateful for kind of with COVID. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. I hate that people lost their lives and people got sick and things like that. But what it did was it sat a lot of people down and it allowed people to get a good view of what was really going on. Mm. And so more people was paying attention to their money, paying attention to their family, to their house, you know, that type of thing. And so I feel like going back to awareness, when you feel it, if you take a step back, look at it, like outside looking in, like you said, and you realize, oh, shoot, like, (laughs) what am I doing here? And Mm -hmm. then you just course correct. It's all about the course correction. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your side hustle turned now full-time business, because I think a lot of folks have this aspiration where, you know, they want to help people, they have a passion, but then it's like, okay, but how do I actually start making money? So what was your process for actually monetizing your blog now financial literacy business? So (laughs) full transparency, I'm new to the whole monetization thing um, because when I started it, it wasn't supposed to be a business. And so my mindset going in was, oh, you know, this is just something I like to do. This is just a hobby, whatever. And when I went full time in 2019, I still had that mindset. I was like, oh, this is a hobby. Let me just, you know, (laughs) crank it out or whatever. Then I was like, wait a minute, Tiffany, like this is your only source of income. (laughs) What are you doing? So it was like a month or two after I went full time where I finally realized, okay, Tiffany, you need to figure out how you're going to monetize this thing because this is now your job. And so what I started doing was treating it like a real job. I feel like that is where a lot of entrepreneurs fall flat Mm. because coming from experience, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I can sleep in a little more. The bed is over there, the TV, you know, the kitchen, you know, I can go eat the laundry, all of the chores that need to be done. And then I look up and it's time for the kids to come home. And I'm like, I did not get anything accomplished. (laughs) So (laughs) I would say tip one is to treat it like you would in corporate America. Like when I was in corporate America, I was at work on time and I sat at my desk until my lunch. And then I sat at my desk until it was time to go home Mm -hmm. and I was working. And so now just building that discipline to where this is what you focus on. So I started monetizing via ads and writing, you know, freelance writing. And now brands are wanting to sponsor and all that other type of stuff. But my intention wasn't to make money from this. Like it was just to put my information out there. Then when people started hitting me up, you know, like, oh, Tiffany, are you taking one-on-one clients or, you know, that type of thing. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, like this (laughs) might be an opportunity then. And I tell people this all the time, especially new entrepreneurs or people that have an idea. I'm like, there's somebody out there that will literally pay you for anything that you love doing. Mm -hmm. And so the key is really just to find what you love, because if you have a passion for something, you can make money doing it. (laughs) You just have to have the passion because I will tell you now, sometimes entrepreneurship gets so, so difficult. Like I'm like, oh, I just want to apply for a, for a couple of jobs because <laughs> I'm tired. Right. Um, but what keeps me going is that passion. It's that internal motivation that I have going on. Like, oh, I'm helping people on a daily basis. This is what I want to keep doing. And yeah. so that's what gets me over the hump. So that's why I tell people. If you're stepping out into this game, first of all, it's not easy. But second of all... Despite what Instagram will tell you. Okay. I'm like, anytime I see some Instagram, Twitter, whatever, I'm in the comments like mental wellness, like mental health, depression, because it gets real. That's tip one is to make sure that it's something internal that's driving you. Oh, because if you do it just for the money you will be miserable. It's yes. either you'll be miserable or you're not going to do it long. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, I've had very profitable businesses, like businesses making revenue of like half a million in a year, but I was miserable as hell doing it. Like yeah. it was not fun. So I said, you know what? I would rather just focus on something that 
keeps me sustained and I'm having fun versus trying to go after the money. So (laughs) I endorse that 100% because I think we're very similar in the sense that we both started doing these things without the expectation of, you know, monetizing it because there was a deeper why there. Right. And so when you think about like my own personal experience, I was convinced that if I got a six figure corporate job, like I was going to be happy, like that was it. And then I'm like, wait, I got it. And I'm fucking miserable. So what is happening here? Right. And so it's because the passion wasn't there because you couldn't pay me enough to actually care about the thing that I was doing. And so you have to have more than just the monetary number. You have to have more than just the, you know, I want to have seven figures in the bank. Like there has to be more because I'm telling you right now, this money is not the goal. It is the freedom that entrepreneurship is going to give you, which I think a lot of people confuse with the money. But you don't need to be making seven figures to actually be very successful and very happy as a business owner. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Sis, I can tell you now, I don't make nearly as much as I was making in corporate, but you know what? I am happier. Mm. I'm having fun. You know, sometimes I have to peel myself off of the computer. I'm having so much fun. So it's like, for me, it was a great trade-off. Like I'll trade the money for waking up every day, wanting to do exactly what I'm doing now. Like, Mm. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. That's powerful. Okay. So let's go to the part where you said you quit corporate twice because plan A didn't work out the first time. And that is so real. Thank you for sharing that. Right. Because like the runway to making this full time is long and it's not linear. So talk about it. Tell us what happened the second time around. What did you do differently? Okay. So the first time I'm going to just be real. The company (laughs) I was working for, I was so fed up with them. Like they wanted me to do like some unethical stuff. Like I just was not in it to win it with them. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know what, let me just take this opportunity um, <laughs> to step away. And so when I made the decision, I did save up maybe about a month or so of expenses. I was driving Uber and Lyft and stuff and I knew my budget, right? So I knew how much I needed to make on a daily basis. I tell people that's important too. Like it wasn't just enough for me to know the monthly number. I broke it down to daily. So at that time it was like $50 a day. So if mm-hmm. I could make $50 a day, I can pay all my bills and you know me and my kids will be straight. Yeah. So I was like, okay, $50 a day. 
Let's say all hell breaks loose. Money Talk with Tiff does nothing. I can drive Uber and Lyft for a few hours and make the $50 a day. So at that point, I was comfortable with the idea of just walking away because $50 like <laughs> is not that big of a target. Mm-hmm. So I decided to leave. And, you know, it's funny because people will project their fears onto you. Mm-hmm. And so when I was leaving, a lot of my coworkers were like, um, especially the older ones, they was like, but Tiffany, you have two boys, you're a single mom, you have a mortgage, what are you going to do? Where are you go? And you know, people's first question is, oh, well, where are you going? And when I said home, <laughs> like, what the heck is going on? What is happening? Right. So that was the first time. And I was doing pretty decent. Don't get me wrong for like the first month or so, because I did build up my clientele and stuff and Mm -hmm. had some stuff flowing before I pulled the trigger. Now, once I started getting to the end of that month, I was like, oh, <laughs> we get a little tight. Now, luckily, one of my old employers had called me because they needed someone to step in because somebody was going on maternity leave. Now, I knew how to do her entire job because I was her assistant when I was there and I would fill in for her when I was there. Mm. So they had tried hiring people. Nobody worked out. Now it's crunch time. They like, let's call Tiffany because we heard that she was on the market again. So which... Not technically on the market, but I wasn't working where I was. Yeah. So they called me. And this is why I tell people always like never burn a bridge because you never know when you might need or whenever that situation or those people might come up again. Yeah. And so when they called me, I was like, ooh, like this is a great negotiation, um, you know, position because I can, you know, they need me and more than I need them at this point. And right. so I'm like you know, how can I make this mutually beneficial? So long story short, I was able to negotiate for the salary I wanted. And I told them that I am only doing part-time because like, and when I say part-time, I mean, once my job is done, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. Like don't try to put any extra stuff because I'm supposed to be a full-time entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, once I do everything you need me to do for the day, I'm gone. And so I would be gone for at like 12, one o'clock or so for the day. And that worked perfect for me because A, I had the steady paycheck and then B, I was still able to work on my stuff. Mm. Now, it was supposed to last for her maternity leave. Then homegirl calls me because it's one of my friends too. And she was like, oh, I'm not coming back. (laughs) And I said, you know what? <laughs> she was like, I'm going to stay home with the baby. And I was just like, oh, congratulations. But And I told her this. I said, oh, the old bait and switch, eh? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you know they're in good hands. So now you're like, ooh, mm-hmm. let me just stay home. <laughs> so um, it ended up lasting longer than it was supposed to um, because I did want to make sure they were set up for success because this position was crucial for the running of the entire company. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, I'll stay as long as you all need me to within reason yeah. um, in order to hire somebody and, you know, make sure it's a good trade-off. So I ended up staying about eight months or so. Okay. Then by that time, I had just graduated with my MBA and I was like, well, Tiffany, if you want to do finance, why don't you work at a firm? And so I went to go work for a firm, which was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. But I realized that these were not the people that I wanted to help. These were all millionaires. And honestly, I just got tired of talking about estate planning and tax planning <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm like, the, the what energizes me is, oh, Tiffany, like getting a text like, oh, I just paid off this credit card or I just got approved for a house, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So I was sitting there. Don't get me wrong. It was fun. And I learned a lot. But I was like, this isn't the demographic that I want to help. And so that's when I quit corporate the second time. But that time I made sure that I had at least, it was more like four, three to six months, we'll just say that, of savings so that way I can sustain. And then also I did have more clientele and stuff like that at that time. So that's the story of the two corporate quits. Well, I love your honesty and I love when people share these stories, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. like, y'all, this is not a simple choice to make. And it's not easy to navigate. And especially you as a single mom raising kids, like you have even more to think about than somebody like me, where it's just like, yeah, I have a partner. I want to know about like health insurance and and those types of things, right? Because that's one of those things that stresses people out. And they're just like, no, I can't possibly leave my corporate job because what am I going to do? So how did you manage that? 
So to be real with you, because like I said, I'm all about full transparency. I love it. Don't be afraid to use those government benefits. Mm. <laughs> they help you pay me for out. them. Hello. Yes, they helped me out tremendously. So I was getting Medicaid and food stamps. So that helped us tremendously during the transitional period. So I would say that was the most helpful because when you get out there outside of corporate plans, looking at health insurance, it is very, very expensive. Yeah. And Um, especially depending on the state that you live in, like your options could be all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I know um, when I did finally go to the marketplace, this is another thing too. I was able to get insurance for like $13 a month Wow, for a a high deductible HSA plan because, you know, I was always looking at that. And it ended up being like $13 or so a month. And I said, oh, well, this isn't too bad, you know. So just see what you qualify for. Like if you're a brand new entrepreneur, business owner, jumping out into this full time, that's one of the things that I highly recommend you look into before you quit is your insurance options. And like I said, healthcare.gov, they were able to give me some options. Now, granted, they take it from your tax refund and everything like that, but it can be helpful, you know, with your monthly cash flow. So mm-hmm. definitely check that out. That's great information. And mm-hmm. it's important to know too, like once you are fully self-employed and if you're not with a partner who can offer you insurance through their job, like that's also a cost that becomes a business expense, right? A business deduction Mm -hmm. that reduces your tax liability. So the fear that a lot of us have about like, oh my God, what is it going to cost? It's actually could be to your benefit, depending on your situation, that now this thing that you've been paying into forever as a corporate employee that you could not deduct from your taxes now becomes this thing that lowers your tax liability. So I think it's important to talk to... um, you know, business coach to a CFP, certified financial planner, anybody who can help you really see what that big picture situation looks like. Absolutely. And I'll also add to a lot of people think that you can't get government benefits being self-employed, mm. but you absolutely can, as long as you fall within the income threshold. So like if you're a new entrepreneur, I'll be real with you, you're not going to make that much yep. <laughs> most most times, you know. Um, and if you fall within the income threshold, then you can still apply for government benefits. So just keep that in mind, too, because that was very helpful. Yeah, that's really great to know. Okay, so you mentioned that you were able to pay off $50,000 of debt in how long? It was a little less than two years. Tell us how, because that is a monumental feat. And especially when you mentioned that you were making like, what, $11, $12 an hour. Please give us some advice on how we can make this happen. Yes. So homegirl was on a hustle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be real with you. Like I was not only working. So at that time, I was an assistant manager at a thrift store. So I want to say I was making about $10, $11 an hour. I had picked up a second job at Davis Bridal that was making like $11 or so an hour. That was seasonal. Then I was doing Uber and Lyft on the weekends. Then, you know, it was just, I was hustling hard, making soap, um, (laughs) all types of stuff, giving financial stuff to people, you know, financial coaching stuff. And at that time I was only charging like $20 an hour, which I look back and I'm like, ooh, but it was like, (laughs) we all start somewhere. (laughs) Right, right. But homegirl was hustling. And this is what I tell people your goals. You have to have goals that speak to you. So that come from within. Like this was important to me because I said, first of all, I'm scared of debt. I'm scared of credit because I saw what it does to people. And so for me on the inside, this was emotional. Like this was an emotional decision to have this goal of being debt free by 30. So I was like, okay, any means necessary. And see, when you have goals like that, where it invokes emotional response, then you can stick to it better and it becomes any means necessary type thing. So that's pretty much in a nutshell how I was able to do it. I picked up extra jobs. I was side hustling, Uber and lifting. I was doing other side hustles, other businesses. I was making um, baked goods. I was making soap. I was like all, anything that I love doing that I could monetize, I was doing. Um, and so that's how I was able to make that up because, and then also- Like I said, the government benefits also helped. And then I was still in school. That was when I was working on my bachelor's. So (laughs) to be real with you, I was pretty much living from refund check to refund check. Um, I would take a refund check, whether it was student loan or um, tax refund, and I would pay up our rent for as much as I could because I was like, 
if all else fails, at least we have a roof over our head. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was just that motivation. And then also having two little people that depend on me, like yeah. it just puts stuff in a whole different perspective. Cause I'm like, at the end of the day, yeah, we'll have a roof, but they're going to need clothes. They're going to need food. They're going to need all these different things. And if I have this mountain of debt, looming over me, then I can't free up my cash flow enough to make it happen for them. Mm -hmm. So just having all of these reasons in the back of my head made it easy for me to say no to people. It made it easy for me to do what I had to do in order to make it happen. So yeah, yeah, I love that. The resourcefulness, when you just are determined to make something work, um, I think that's where you're like, uh, you know, what they say, like diamonds are forged out of... um, Oh, the pressure, pressure, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's that's absolutely key. So just like you have to have that that why in mind, that bigger reason that's going to keep you motivated because it's not always going to be easy. And sometimes you're just going to be like, "Why am I doing this?" And so it's important to have that perspective. Yes. So how has your mindset around money shifted and evolved as you've continued in your entrepreneurial journey? Honestly, it hasn't changed too much, Mm -hmm. um, only because I've always had something going on, some type of business going (laughs) on. (laughs) I think the biggest mindset change for me was that this is no longer a hobby because usually, you know, with all the different businesses that I've had over the years since I was like five, they've always been hobbies. You know, it wasn't like my sole income. It wasn't, you know, that type of thing. And so I think that was the main mindset switch for me was, okay, Tiffany, you need to start treating this like a business. This is no longer a hobby. This is no longer just having fun. You know, it's having fun, but it's no longer just blowing as the wind blows. Like you have to have a plan. You have to start being strategic about things. And so like, for instance, just in the case of the blog, I started focusing more on SEO and things like that. That was not on my radar for like the first three or four years (laughs) I was blogging. So it's like, it changed how I looked at the business. Once I did that, I realized that I started making more money. And so just changing that mindset that this is no longer a hobby, this is a business, start looking at it as such, it started opening my eyes to different ways I can make money within the business. Yeah, I love that. Just being open to evolving is Mm -hmm. is so important. So I want to ask you about something that I've heard, especially like something that's thrown at communities of color people like us who are educators, this idea that it is somehow exploitive that we want to charge money for financial literacy or for educating folks. Like there's, you know, some folks will slide in the DM, slide in the comments and be like, why are you guys charging for this? If you really want to make a difference, you should be doing this for free. What's your response to that? All right. So first of all, (laughs) most of my stuff is free. Okay. (laughs) Like when it comes to the blog and the podcast and all that stuff, that stuff is free. Okay. Now, when you're asking for my time, like let's say it's one-on-one coaching or what have you, then my thing is, or even speaking, because I actually had to tell this to a, a client that wanted me to come speak and do it pro bono. And I was like, well, would you show up at your job? And do it for free. Okay. And then, <laughs> right. And when I said that, she said, you know what? I didn't think about that. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you have to think about when you approach entrepreneurs and ask them, can you do this for free? If you went to your job every day and then when it was time for your paycheck, they said, oh, we're not paying you. How would you feel? Like right. I'm pretty sure you would stop showing up to that job real quick. Exactly. So that's my perspective. And that's what I try to explain to people. Yeah, you might see entrepreneurs out here doing what they love to do. It looks like they're having fun, whatever, whatever. But what you have to realize, this is also a job. And for a lot of us, especially full-time, this is our only source of income. So you can't expect me to give you my time and not be compensated for it. Because at the end of the day, that time could have been used for something else that I would have gotten compensated for. Now, don't get me wrong. I do do some free stuff, but I had to limit my free stuff when it comes to speaking and stuff to where I only do one free speaking thing a quarter now. 
because yes, I want to give back. But at the same time, I was burning myself out with all this pro bono and free things. And then I'm looking up like, oh, I can't pay my bills. And guess what? None of my followers are going to care about that. You Mm. know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. nobody's going to care that Tiffany's house, you know, is foreclosed on or (laughs) I don't have a car. Like nobody's going to care. And so at the end of the day, as business owners, you have to have boundaries as well. And I learned that the hard way as to how you protect your time. And so for the people that are like, well, why are y'all charging for this? This is still a job. (laughs) Like this is still what we are showing up and doing for work. And so if you wouldn't go to work and do your job for free, then you should not expect entrepreneurs to do that. Absolutely. I will second that. And especially asking women of color to continue to perform free labor in a capitalist society where we are not even paid equivalent to white women, white men, anybody. Like we are always at the bottom of the rung when it comes to the pay gap. So please, if you actually care about advancing the cause of equality for black and brown women, please stop asking us to work for free. Point blank, period, because then you are part of the problem. Exactly. And can we just say brands, especially like, oh, Lord, you like, you know, you have the budget. Like, <laughs> stop playing. <laughs> like, stop playing. Facts. No, but for real, I'm glad you hit on that point because that is it's super important to realize that that's just perpetuating the cycle. Mm. That's why when, you know, I go to other entrepreneurs because I always buy black, <laughs> black and brown. But anyway, um, <laughs> when I go to other entrepreneurs, I never ask for discounts. Like if you want to hook me up, then okay, that's on you. But I'm not going to go to you and be like, oh, you my homegirl, you know, let me get the homegirl hookup. No, (laughs) like, (laughs) no, that's just not how you approach it. If you want the service, you ask for pricing and you pay for it. If they want to hook you up just out the kindness of their heart, then that's on them. But it is not your job. Like, going back to if you're working, like if you're working for someone, if your job said, you know what, we cannot pay you your full salary. We can only give you half. How would you feel? When you put it like that, it sounds so absurd, right? (laughs) But that's how, that's how we have to start looking at these things. So that way we can put them in perspective. Like if you're asking somebody for 50% off an entrepreneur, just think, would you go to work and work for 50% off? Mm. Probably not. I love this conversation. We're shutting shit down here, okay, y'all? Because I'm tired of these conversations. I'm tired of folks asking me for if I'm running a sale. No, I'm sorry. We don't do that here. We are not Target, okay? We're a small business that needs to pay the bills. Uh, Oh, I'm about to go on another (laughs) Go for it. And you have to also think about in order to run our businesses, it takes money Um, in order to even give you the free information. Like, for instance, the blog, the podcast, all that stuff, it still takes money. And so at the end of the day, if you really want to be a help and you really want to support, then support. Don't support with the expectation that oh, I deserve a discount because this person looks like me or I deserve a discount because this person is a woman of color or I deserve a discount because that's my friend, family member. No, you should go in thinking, okay, this is a, let's say a Target or a McDonald's. Do you go into Target and McDonald's and be like, oh, I think I need a discount on all of this stuff or I need to walk (laughs) away with it for free. No, you don't. So at the end of the day, you can't, look at small business owners in that light either. So that's what I just urge people to do. And I know I went on a tangent, but no, we, we need the tangents. Okay. (laughs) Please y'all. Yes. We need those open and honest conversations. And it's really just like, we don't want to continue to like sabotage our own success, right? Like we should all be collectively rooting for the success of black and brown owned businesses so that it doesn't become this thing that's like such a novelty in our community that becomes the norm because we're actually practicing sustainable business, you know, practices. Oh, let me get on one more topic real Please quick do. and we get off of this. <laughs> one more thing. If our customers and clients don't pay us what we're worth, right? Because how many times have you heard, 
oh, that's why I don't go to black businesses or that's mm-hmm. why I don't go to Latino, Latina yep. businesses. This is why I don't da-da-da-da because they had a bad experience, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just say, quote unquote, bad experience. Now, if we're not getting the funding that we need to hire the help that we need to, you know, have people, quality people working for us or helping us and doing all this stuff, then that's where these bad experiences come from sometimes. And so at the end of the day, (laughs) because I hate when people, I just had to bring that up because I hate when people overgeneralize every single black and brown business. Like you don't, if you have a bad experience at McDonald's, you're not like, oh, I'm never going to McDonald's again. (laughs) No, you're going to be right there later on that week getting whatever it is that you wanted to get. So I don't like when people overgeneralize, like it's cool to have a bad experience. I mean, not cool, but If you have a bad experience, then let the owner know your bad experience. First of all, don't just go blast it on social or whatever and start down the business. Let the person know that you had a bad experience. And then also, if you can provide resources, provide the resources for them because that's important too. And then if you decide that you don't want to shop with that particular business, don't write off all black and brown businesses just because you had one experience because you're mm-hmm. not doing that with, with McDonald's. You're not doing that with Target. You're not doing that with Walmart. And I can tell you that most of us have probably had bad experiences <laughs> at all three. So. Absolutely. 1000%. <laughs> uh, that so is such a great like. point. Thank you for bringing that up. And honestly, like, I think, um, yeah, that, that's such an important mindset shift so that we as a community can continue to progress without becoming each other's biggest obstacles, right? Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of obstacles, I think a lot of what I hear in my own community around money is just like there's a lot of limiting beliefs that we have to mm-hmm. get past. So what are some of the limiting beliefs that you have encountered yourself with money and how have you been able to move past them? Yeah, so whew. <laughs> there's so many out there and, you know, <laughs> Some of them, you don't even realize what you're doing to yourself. I'm going to say most of them, actually, because you're having these thoughts in your head. Maybe it's from how you grew up or maybe it's from, you know, just maybe a bad experience or what have you. And you're constantly repeating these things in your head. Now, the mind is powerful. Okay, so whatever you tell yourself is really what's going to come to pass. So if you say I'm broke. Or I'll never have enough money to do this or that, then guess what? You won't (laughs) because that's just how the universe works. Whatever you put out there is what's going to be your reality. And so to prevent that or to kind of mind trick around that, I tell people to use affirmations, Mm -hmm. like say affirmations. Like I have one written up there. I release every block that held me from receiving prosperity Mm -hmm. because yes, (laughs) I look at it every day and I say it every day because we hold ourselves back a lot of times. Even I can speak from experience, like I'll have an idea and I'm like, Oh, but Tiffany, you sure you want to do that? Um, you know, um. and then like even people will come to me like for this thing that I thought about, and I'm like, um, let me just refer them to someone else. Oh, let mm. me just you know that, and I'm holding myself back because obviously this is something that I'm supposed to be doing because the thought keeps coming, and I'm also getting confirmations on top of that. But I'm still like, um, no, I don't know if that's for me. Oh no, I don't know if I'm, you know, if I have the right credentials for that, or if I'm, you know, that type of thing. And we start just talking ourselves out of our blessings before we even get them. So I feel like that is the biggest thing. Just having people say that they'll never have enough money or you know, that's way outside of, you know, whatever their income is right now, that type of thing. I feel like you can do whatever it is that you want to do, period, period. Like it's the difference between the growth and the fixed mindset. With the growth mindset, you believe that anything is possible as long as you can learn about it. With a fixed mindset, you like, oh, you have to be born with this quality. You have to be born with this skill. But that's not the case. Like, yeah, we have different genes and stuff that might be helpful in some cases. But at the end of the day, anybody can do anything. And one thing that I tell my freshman students, I give them this example, right? I ask, how many people in here know how to play the guitar? So usually nobody or maybe one person might raise their hand. 
Now I'm like, okay, take out your phones and I want you to text a message, you know, saying, hey girl, how are you? Da, 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 da. Now, of course, everybody can do that, right? So I'm like, with a guitar, there's literally only six strings that you need to learn. With texting, there's 30 plus, because now you're thinking about emojis and all this other stuff too. (laughs) So there's so many different keys when you text. So what's the difference between the person that knows how to play the guitar versus the one that knows how to text? And the only difference is practice. We do it all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the growth mindset comes from. You can learn how to play the guitar if you practice. And if that's what you want to do, just like you know how to text so easily, probably with your eyes closed. (laughs) So, um, So that's just some things that I've realized with myself and then also with people that I've worked with is that we limit ourselves a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And just getting, Mm -hmm. I think it's like committing to being a student of whatever it is that you don't understand is how we make those shifts. So if you don't know how to budget, you got to start practicing and you might not get it right the first, second or third time. Investing, same thing. Starting a business, same thing. It's just like realizing that none of us are born being great at money. None of us are born being entrepreneurs. None of us are born knowing how to make any of these things happen. And you learn them and you practice and you screw up and you fix it and you keep trying until you get the result that you want. I think it's such a powerful mindset to have. And you know what? Let me bring up one that I hear a ton. And I read a book that switched my mindset with this one. But one that I hear in black and brown communities is, you know, they holding us down. The man, you know, the man's (laughs) holding us down. The man, you know, this, that, and the other. Now, don't get me wrong. There has been a history of racism, sexism, all types of stuff in the United States. I just had that argument with somebody else. Like, I'm (laughs) like, we were founded on hate. Um, But at the end of the day, I read a book called Black Fortunes, okay? And that book talks about the first five millionaires out of slavery. Now, as I was reading that book and reading their stories, I'm like, these people went through slavery, like They were slaves, like way worse than we have it today. And they still were able to come out as millionaires. So what's the difference between me and them, right? And so I started having a mind switch, like these people, like stuff that I couldn't even imagine they had to go through dealing with racism and things like that. And here I am today and I'm like, if they could be millionaires, I can totally be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. It's just up to what I want to do. Now, I also say we just have to learn how to play the game. First, we have to learn the game, okay? Because this whole country is a game. Like, it's it's a game. It's the matrix, y'all. Yeah, you have (laughs) to learn the game and then you have to play the game, okay? So if they learned how to play the game freshly out of slavery, then I can learn how to play the game today. Mm -hmm. And so that was a mindset switch for me as well. And it kind of burns me up when I hear people using that, I'm not going to say as an excuse because there's some validity there, but using it as a crutch to not reach higher. And so I just wanted to get that out there because that is something that's important too. You know, I love your perspective, Tiffany. And I think so many folks are going to be intrigued to learn more about you, follow your journey, find out more about what you're working on. So tell us where we can find you and how you help folks reach their money goals. Yes. So Google me, baby. No, um, <laughs> you can find me uh, money talk with t.com. Uh, money talk with Tiff is the blog, the podcast. You can Google it. I'll come up. I'm also on um, social media everywhere, like literally everywhere <laughs> um, as money talk with T. Um, so that's Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, TikTok, like I'm everywhere. Um, so definitely check me out. And I would love to have you join the money talk. Incredible. Tiffany, thank you so much for dropping all these gems on us and really giving us permission to dream bigger and to also giving us the tools that we need to get there. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Absolutely. (laughs) My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. 
Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.